Since the beginning, we as humans have been looking to answer one question. What makes us, us? I mean, what does make us unique from the rest of creation? A huge answer for us came in 1944 with the discovery of deoxyribonucleic acid, DNA. With this discovery, everything changed. The pieces started coming together. Knowing DNA was the beginning of knowing the building blocks of who we are as humans. As Christians, we too often wonder what it is exactly that makes us, us. We get lost in the busyness and the chaos of life, and we wonder how our lives are any different than those around us. But just like DNA, our answer has been there since the beginning, before the beginning, waiting for us to make our own discovery of Jehovah, Yahweh, the Alpha and Omega God. Worshiping God changes everything, and only then do the pieces begin to come together. Worshiping God is the beginning of knowing God, and the beginning of knowing the building blocks, the DNA of who we are as Christians. I'm going to invite you this morning just to bow your heads. I feel like um, I realize that one of these days I'm going to stand before the Lord, just like all of us, and uh, right, uh, kind of the words Jesus used are give an account, but for me, I'm going to give a little bit more of an account, all right, um, and it's Sundays like this, it's truths like this, that if I can just share the words of scripture, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that the Lord is going to look at me, the Father's going to look at me and say, well done. And I have just, I've spent all morning just, uh, just asking him, and he graciously was with us in first service so powerfully, just to grab a hold of what he wants us to know. And so can we just create that moment right now where we just get our hearts in, in the right place, unhindered, undistracted, and asking him, Jesus said, he that he had ears to ear, let him hear. He said that all the time, right? Hey, listen up. Make sure that you are hearing what I'm saying. You're unhindered, undistracted. So, Father, I just ask today that uh, you would make this truth so real, so apparent to us. That we would understand that, that um, this is really vital, essential to what we need to know. And so, Lord, open our hearts, our minds. Lord, rest upon me as I share. I pray these things in the strong, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So look at somebody close to you. Maybe you don't want to look at your spouse. because when, But look at somebody close to you and say, I am 99.9% .9 just like you. Do that. You don't believe me, do you? Guess what? You are 99.9% .9 just like everybody else in this room. With the amazing science that we have unearthed, we've discovered, we've progressed in, we have come to this, as Justin explained so well, this whole word we all recognize, DNA, right? And what they found with DNA is it truly human beings are 
just like one another. What's amazing is that DNA, the coding of our lives and the building blocks of them on which we're, we're put together is vast enough that the 0.1% is all of the differences that we see today. The differences in ethnicity, the differences in um, personalities, the differences in physical appearance. It's all in that 0.1%. No doubt all of us look around and say, I'm 99.9% not like them. And yet, really, the vastness of our coding that we have discovered it on earth is really 99.9% of us are the same. It's in that 0.1%. This is a vast new world that we've unearthed. And it's brought freedom. It's brought knowledge. It's brought power. It's brought healing. It's done so many things as we have unearthed the way that we're constructed, we're built, we're put together. I, I would ask you to do this. Go home. This might be a little unnerving. Pick up the banana off your counter and look at it and say, I am 50% just like you. Isn't that disturbing? But that's also what DNA has, like, I'm <laughs> 50% like this banana. Yeah, that, that kind of was depressing. But out of this, I've kind of realized I'm going to start eating a lot more bananas. Something with that. So um, it's amazing how we've understood ourselves, who we are. And we want to take a month to just talk about the fact that just as science has unearthed, revealed the coding of who we are, the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, presents for us the coding of how God has designed for us to be. His intended plan, the makeup of what He has created for his people for his creation and just as there's physical dna that we find through blood tests and all sorts of tests i believe that in opening the word of god we're able to see the spiritual dna of god's people of god's children um i would remind you is this working this time man Sorry, Nick. Tie up Nick for the whole service. I'm sorry about that. What makes you you is what God wants to do with you. What makes you you is what God wants to do with you. That's what we're going to talk about every week. That really, God has a blueprint. That's what we call DNA. It's a blueprint of who we are. And that what makes you you truly is what God wants to do with you. That's when you found, this is my DNA. This is what I was created to do. This was how I was created to be. This is how I was create, what I was created to experience. And this is how I was created to live. What makes you, you, is what God wants to do with you. But I want you to, I want to share something with you today that is foundational to this idea that God, uh, God's plan for us has remained the same. It's amazing how God is consistently trying to accomplish the same thing. 
He doesn't deviate. He doesn't change. He has one big goal, and he's always planning and consistently moving and orchestrating and designing so that that plan, that goal can be accomplished. So we want to take a month and unearth what are the foundational building blocks? What should our spiritual DNA look like? What is it? What's the coding of a Christian? And I want to start it in the Old Testament. You say that's kind of weird. But I think it's it's so beautiful how what God has always been doing. We can see that he started uh really in the garden, but in the Old Testament. And it's a continual progressive move of God to, uh, to create a people, to create followers of Him, to create people to have relationship with Him. And it's amazing how consistent He is to His plan. And what really needs to happen, what He's wanting to accomplish, is what He's always been trying to do with all people at all times. You remember that um, if you open the Old Testament pages, you're introduced quickly to this, this man named Abraham. And we see God this, uh, kind of revealing his plan, his intent, when he says, I'm going to call this man Abraham out. And I'm going to start a nation of people through this man Abraham. And my point with this whole thing of creating a people, it's not that there is one special people above all peoples. Everybody is created equal. God is no respecter of persons. But he said, I want to call out one people so that I can start revealing myself to the world. Who is the creator? Who is the one true living God? What is he like? What is he, what is he dislike? What does he desire? And he said, I'm going to do that by raising up a nation among all the nations. And I'm going to ask this nation to live a certain way that mirrors my moral character. And in that, the worlds around can see, wow, that's, that's interesting. What's that about? These people, they're amazingly consistent. They have this high moral life. They have this, uh, this love and compassion for their community. What's going on? Oh, they, they follow that God. That's the God. Uh, you see? And so he's wanting to create a people to reveal himself. We recognize that God wasn't just always just going to create a people, that through that people he was going to continue until he made his final and complete revelation in Jesus Christ. Through the Jewish nation, he was going to bring Jesus into the world. So that truly you and I can accurately understand God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. But you remember in the raising up of that nation, and this people starting. And, and the generations start to fall. And it comes to Joseph. And, and Joseph is, is sold into slavery by his brothers. And he ends up in Egypt. And you remember the story of how he becomes the, the prime minister of the land. And how there was famine. And so Joseph in Egypt invites his Jewish family to come and survive the famine and then other Jewish families came and and they began to center in Egypt really to survive but they settled there and over time really 400 years I was thinking about this this week you realize we talk about Jamestown remember they landed at Jamestown that was 400 years ago that's how long that these these descendants of Joseph these Jewish people lived in Egypt 
And over time, the Egyptians realized that they were becoming more and more uh, numerous. And they realized, well, there's maybe an opportunity for them to overthrow us. And so they took them as slaves when they could. And they held them in captivity. And you remember that the, the Jewish people, the called out people of God, are slaves in Egypt. And God and his plan consistently uh, uh, what he does is he has a plan to, to do something about that. And so he calls out this aging shepherd on the backside of the desert, Moses. A washed up has been 80 years old. And says, I want you, I want you to go back and lead my people out of captivity, out of slavery. You remember Moses didn't want to at first, finally goes, shows up, says, hey Pharaoh, we want to leave. Yeah, it ain't happening. You remember the story of the interplay of now the plagues that are starting to happen to the Egyptian people as God is uh, supernaturally moving to bring his children out of slavery. And finally, after nine plagues, finally that ten, tenth plague where, where God uh, moves to a point where this is going to happen and I'm going to do this severe thing of causing the firstborn of all the Egyptian families to die. You remember that night of the Exodus as the Jewish people, as about two million people get up and leave Egypt. You remember that? That's called the Exodus. And it's in that night as they begin to move that God is leading them out of captivity. You remember how the story goes that they, they, they start their journey to the promised land, which is modern day Israel. And and Pharaoh changes his mind, and so he brings his army and chases after them. And, and they come to the Red Sea, and they now, not sure how two million people are going to cross the Red Sea, and also now you've got the most powerful army in the world bearing down on you, and they're caught, and you remember the parting of the Red Sea, and then walking across on dry ground, and, and then God closing the seas on the Egyptian army, and God is leading them out of captivity. You remember that... Um, they moved all the way to the promised land. And then because of unbelief, because of unbelief, can I say that again? Because of unbelief, they refused to go in. They refused to believe that God is capable and able. And they wander in the desert for 40 years. And a whole generation dies in the desert. Can I say why again? Because of unbelief. This is a side sermon. But what grieves the heart of God and what brings, I believe, the, the discipline of God into our life so awesome, often is unbelief. And so many times in our own lives when we're not willing to take a risk for God, believe in God's power and ability, we wander in the wilderness of our lives for years. Kind of in, kind of out, kind of on fire, kind of lukewarm. And many times at the heart of that is a heart of unbelief. And they do that. Remember 40 years and then Joshua comes along as Moses passes away and they go into the to the land and take the land and become the nation. 
And as they establish the nation, God has rituals and feasts that they do throughout the year to commemorate their celebration of God's faithfulness, what he's done. And one of those key things is the Passover meal, right? Where they celebrate the night of the Exodus, where they passed over, where God passed over their houses as, he, his, as, as all the firstborn were slain. He provided a way of escape for them. And they celebrate that Passover every year, the great Exodus, the great coming out of captivity. We've done this at Good Friday. We've talked about the Passover meal and the symbolism of it. But being attracted to an element of that meal, I, I think, again, mirrors the consistent plan of God for all of our lives. You see, in that meal, they will take four cups of wine and they will quote Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And they'll, they'll say, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. I will, God promises, I will bring you out. And they will stop, and they'll drink that cup. They call it the cup of sanctification, the cup of being set apart, of being brought out from the, the, the land of slavery. And they celebrate what God has done in their lives. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Then they, they read, I will free you from being slaves to them. And they stop and they remember that God promised to bring them out of slavery. But he also promises to take slavery out of them. Because for 400 years, they have developed a mindset, a perspective that is a slavery mentality. It's apparent, right? They get into the desert, and Moses goes up to the Mount, of, Mount Sinai, and what do they begin to do when they get, begin to get anxious? They build a golden calf. They act as they did when they were slaves. And God promises that not only will I bring you out of slavery, but I will free you from the slavery mentality. That which enslaves... If you think about the New Testament... God is presenting his plan and how he's going to bring us out. It's in the person, in the work, the cross of Jesus Christ. But then, what is the New Testament full of? Not just telling us about Jesus. The New Testament is full of what? I urge you to live this way. I urge you to do this behavior. I urge you, I call you, I command you. What is God trying to do with his people? He is taking the slavery mentality out of us. <laughs> I will free you from being slaves to them. Drink the cup. That's God's plan. That's God's promise. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Drink the cup. God promises to redeem us. To redeem is to take something that has been broken, marred, scarred up, lost its value, and to restore it, to make it new, to make it in its original design or creation. We're, we love this stuff, right? We watch all sorts of TV shows with this stuff, of things being redeemed, houses being redeemed, uh, cars being redeemed. Um, I don't know. 
I don't watch the plastic surgery show, so. <laughs> uh, bodies being redeemed. I'm not sure if you call that that, but we love that stuff, right? And he promises what I intended for your original purpose to be, I'm going to make it happen. Drink the cup of God's promise. I will. And he says this, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And we realize that God promised that he would make a people together who would live in the blessings of what it is to be the body of Christ. The nation of Israel realized God's going to make us a people, a bright shining light to the world, a people who live after God's ways and will. That's a promise. He's going to bring us together in community. And we see in the New Testament, the, the new covenant expression of that is now not a nation, but a people, the body of Christ. And his promise is, I will become uh, your God of this community. And you live in and amongst one another where you're not just on your own, but you get to enter into the fellowship of believers. I will take you as my people. And what he promises to those uh, those children of Israel in that Passover is consistent with the, what exactly he is wanting to do in all of our lives. Because Jesus fulfills the Passover meal, right? He is now the sacrificial lamb that was, that was, um, that was slain for the sins of the world. We now, just as the children of Israel, have been brought out of slavery, have experienced freedom, have been redeemed or discovering purpose to become a people that make a difference in this world. We now can experience that through the work of Jesus Christ. And God has faithfully intended for this to be his will for all of us. I would say it in this way, very simply, that God's DNA, spiritual DNA for us is this. To know God, I will bring you out of slavery. To find freedom. To discover purpose. And to make a difference. Those are the building blocks that God has always, always worked to create in every life. To know God. To find freedom. Discover purpose to make a difference. That's the spiritual DNA of his people. You see, because it's obvious in Scripture that the idea of what the children of Israel experienced is a picture of what we experience in our own lives. The picture of being slaves in Egypt, the Scriptures present, is a picture of being slaves ourselves to our own sinful nature and desires we need to be brought out for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god we all are aware of this i hope that the natural inclination of the human condition is a bent toward self and sin that's who you are, that's who I am, inherent to our nature. We are bent to sin. You can see that. I've seen that in every one of my kids. 
Like that natural self-centeredness just comes out. Mine! Don't touch! Our kids are selfish, man. I know you don't think yours are, but they are. The only way they're not selfish is when we've trained them not to be. I've never trained my kid to be selfish. I've trained him, and now my four-year-old shares begrudgingly because of training, not her natural inclination. All right? I want that. Well, guess what? That selfish nature just continues to blossom into the teenage years. (laughs) Then into young adulthood. Then into full-blown adulthood where we naturally, as people, are self-centered, are selfish, are sinful. And we pursue our own way. All we like sheep have gone our own way. We've gone astray. That's our story. That's a picture of us living in slavery in Egypt. That's a picture of us being bound. When it seems like we well, I'm free to do what I want, we realize in our freedom to do what we want that really we have this nature within us that abuses things, that takes God's good gifts in this world and tries to find purpose and meaning in them and we overuse them, we abuse them, we we become captive to God's creation. We get caught up in what he has created, and we lose sight of everything but trying to find fulfillment in that. We become slaves. Because of our bent to sin, we, we start behavior patterns that at first seem to bring joy into our life, but then they become our master. Right? That's what our world's full of. Addictions. Strongholds. Thought patterns that are prisons. Our world is just full of that. We are enslaved to our sinful nature. And God's plan has always been to bring us out. I will bring you out of your broken, lost, bound condition. So that you might know me. In knowing God, there is a fellowship with God. There is a relationship with God. Where we become no longer bound to our selfish, sinful life. But we come into a relationship with a liberating Savior who is going to set us free. And the building blocks of our life are knowing God, finding freedom discovering purpose, making a difference. And in those cups that so long ago they drank, the plan of God was consistently there, what it's for us. And so this morning, I just want to land on what it is to know God. What is being brought out? How does that happen? God's purpose designed for each one of our lives is to bring us out of Egypt, to bring us out of sin, to bring us into relationship with him. How does that happen? What is that about, Chip? 
And I just want to remind you quickly a story from the New Testament. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. He was one of 6,000, a Pharisee, right? A uh, Pharisee was uh, someone who was set apart. Uh, They separated their whole life to live by 613 laws because they were proving themselves of how holy they were in in devotion to God, right? They were some, some really, really zealous people. Pharisees, separated is what Pharisees mean. There was one of these guys who was one of the 6,000 Pharisees who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Well, now we've got a guy who's not only one of the 6,000, he's one of the 70. I mean, this is elite status Pharisee, Nicodemus. And it says that he came Jesus to Jesus at night. Somebody told me after service they remember it this way. Nick at night. Nicola, you guys have kids? Nick at night? Nick at night, right? Came to Jesus at night. There's no doubt he came at night because of his status, position in the Jewish community to have had a conversation with Jesus publicly would have cast doubt on his reputation. Why are you even talking to this guy? Why are you asking this guy questions? So he comes covertly, and it's obvious that Nicodemus is spiritually troubled. He's spiritually anxious. Why would a guy who lives by 613 codes, who believes he is the uh, very special people of God, that he lives closest to God, that he is a favored individual with God, why in the world would he come seeking uh, Jesus' advice? Because I remind you, I spent a little more time on this first service, I'm not going to, that religious lifestyles and religious thinking and religious perspective always brings spiritual anxiety. There is no confidence in living in religion because you never know if you're good enough, if you've done enough. You don't have confidence in, am I living a life that's that pleasing to God? Do I need to do more? Do I? And if you're familiar with this kind of thinking this morning, I would remind you that the life of religion is a life of no confidence. It is always a life of spiritual anxiety. And that's where Nicodemus is. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. I am just the signs and wonders, Jesus. I'm caught up in that. Wow, you're a great prophet. I need to know more about God. Because the signs and wonders you're doing, are it's obvious that you're from God. And here's how Jesus responds. This is what you need to know about Jesus. Jesus replies. It's like this is how Jesus deals with all of us. I'm not going to have a discussion with you about whether I'm a prophet or whether I fulfilled this scripture. Or wow, you did that sign. Isaiah chapter 60 said you were going to do that. Uh, You know, this and this and this and this. Jesus cuts right through all that baloney. He's not interested in understanding the signs and wonders important for us to remember and he comes right to the heart he says listen Nicodemus I understand why you're here you're spiritually anxious you're searching you need to know the core of what it is to know God to know about God and this is what he says truly I tell you no one and the Greek word 
for this means no one. No one. You guys did not get that, did you? I'm a poor joke teller. A lot of times people say, well, the Greek means this. and No one means no one. That's you. That's me. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born from above. Nicodemus replies, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. You see, the religious person lives only considering, only embracing that which is tangible. Tell me to do three steps and I'll follow it and I'll be okay. Give me a list to complete. Help me, give me a controllable system of things that I can measure and so I can know that I'm right because I do these things. They live in the world that is only physical and they are unable to embrace a spiritual reality. That's what religious people do all the time. They come to church because they're at the back of their heart, they're doing the right thing. They do this good moral behavior because at the end of the day, they're doing the right thing. It's a, hey, if I follow these steps, this code, this law, then I will be okay with God. That's Nicodemus. That's where he's living. He can only talk about and understand the physical, which is the religious kind of understanding. And Jesus is trying to present to him something that's larger, that's bigger, that is real, that is the core of what it means to discover the DNA of who God always wanted you to be. It's by embracing something that is spiritual in nature and not religious. Can I get an amen? Are you with me? I feel like you're already hungry for lunch. Listen. Trap of the trap of Satan is always to try to make good religious people who miss the very reality of what God has always promised. And the catalyst for experiencing the life, the DNA of what God wants your life to look like, it's built in a spiritual reality. And it's this phenomenon, I'll call it a phenomenon, this supernatural work of God of being born from above. Nicodemus, you can't even understand the kingdom. You don't even understand what Jesus is all about. You don't even know what God is about if you don't realize and experience this, this fact, this reality of being born from above. You see, God in the Old Testament with his children, I will bring you out. He then does supernatural things that only he could do to get them out, right? They didn't cause the plagues. They didn't rain frogs. They didn't turn the river to blood. They didn't kill every firstborn. God did. God is supernaturally acting. I will bring you out. 
And so too, the theme of God is always in the New Testament to experience God, to be brought out of slavery is something that you cannot earn, you cannot make, you cannot develop. You cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough right things. You cannot even believe all the right codes. Something needs to happen in your heart that is spiritual in nature that opens you up to the life that God wants you to have. That's why Peter is talking about being born from above. That's why John can't stop talking about being born from above. That's why Paul talks about the life of becoming made alive. That to understand foundational building block zero of what does God have for me? How does God want me to know him, to find freedom, to discover purpose, to make a difference is I embrace the spiritual reality that I cannot do anything to save myself, to get out of slavery, to get out of sin. It is him coming into me in a spiritual dynamic of being born again. Go say that at your local university. They'll laugh at you. The world thinks this is ridiculous. What do you mean God comes into your heart? That sounds crazy. That's God's always, it's always his plan. It's always his plan. You see, what happened in the garden is when we lost fellowship with God, we lost his sanctifying presence in our life. That when, he, when they left the garden and were on their own, they no longer walked with God and had fellowship with God, and their life went off the rails because the most important thing that you and I can ever have, how we were originally designed and created, is to have at the very center of our spirit, our man, the Holy Spirit of God, leading and guiding and empowering and strengthening and energizing our lives. It's a relationship with God that's living and active, not, did you do this, 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 this? You must be a Christian. You believe the right things. You've done the thing. You've been confirmed. You've had communion. You blah, 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 blah. Adolf Hitler could have done all those things. Right? It doesn't make him a believer. What makes you and I a Christian is when we have been born from above. Are you willing to embrace the spiritual reality of opening your heart wide open and realizing I'm lost, I'm captive, and there is nothing that I am going to be able to do to change this. What I need is something from the outside. Jesus said, listen, you see the wind, it blows where it does, and you don't, you don't know where it comes from, but you feel its effects. He said, so what it is like to be born of the Spirit. Oh, man. I'm so tired of pastoring in environments where there's so many religious religiosity around us everywhere. We're inundated with it. We're told this is what, do this, this, and this. We're all looking for lists and steps and to get better and do this, this, and this. And it, all the while, hey, that's great. And guess what? When you get connected to God, you're going to have freedom like you've never known. You're going to have purpose that blows away anything else you could ever do. You're going to make a difference that you never thought imaginable. But it's because of the Holy Spirit that now is at the center of your life. I'm a little crazy today. I'm sorry. If you're new here, just be okay, all right? I'm not going to jump down and hit you or something. I just really feel this at the depth of my soul. 
what makes us who we are as kingdom people, as Christians, is we have been born from above. The Holy Spirit has come into my life. It's like Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says. He says, in, um, Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's all of us. But God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, I will bring you out. I will provide the way for your salvation. He does what? He makes us, what's that word? Alive. That's what being born again is. You're not saved because you did catechism and you took first communion and you, you were confirmed. Or you became a member of this church. None of that saves you. What saves you is the moment you open your heart in faith and trust to Jesus Christ and he comes in and makes you alive. Amen? Woo! I have a couple points. I just want to share with them real fast. Reactivating, Nick's having to follow me because my thing is not working. Reactivating the code comes from outside of you. You see, becoming me is to trust in that which I cannot earn, develop, or make. You want to experience the life that God has for you? Do you want to have the spiritual DNA, the makeup of a Christian? The first thing you and I must do is realize what we need is outside of us. I can't make it. I can't develop it. I can't earn it. I can simply realize I am broken, lost, without hope and help and strength. And then unless I open my heart and the Holy Spirit comes in, there is no hope for me. I'm going to morph into either a very religious person like Nicodemus, or I'm going to somewhere along the way say, I can't do this, I'm out. Because none of us can really do this. And all the while, Jesus is, is inviting you and I to open our hearts to be born from above. This is what it means to know God. To know God is to have a living relationship with Him. Living means something is alive inside of you. It's not you. It's Him. And so my simple question is this. The most important thing I can ask you, one day I'll stand before the Lord, and this Sunday, He'll realize, He'll know, and He will look at me and say, well done, because you simply shared the word of God and you ask people, just as Jesus asked Nicodemus or told Nicodemus, to see the kingdom, to know God, to experience what God has always wanted to do, is to be born from above. Have you experienced the new birth? 
I didn't say, do you believe the right things? I didn't say, have you walked through a lot of religious hoops? I didn't say, do you have a certain moral code you live by? I said, have you experienced the new birth? Have you been born again? Is the living spirit of Jesus in you? Where you have fellowship and relationship with the person. I invite you to close your eyes. This is really profound for me right now. Sarah's going to sing in a moment. Actually, Sarah's going to sing a song that she wrote for today because this is something that lives on her heart also. But I just invite you, maybe you're new, maybe you've never heard this kind of teaching before. Would you open your heart to Jesus? Would you start to say, I don't know if I understand all that, but I, I know it's the truth. Maybe you're just, you've been here for years and you're religious. You've been here for a few years or your whole life's just been marked by, I'm a Christian because I believe this and I do that. And you can't ever point to a reality of your life where you became a new creature in Christ Jesus, where behold, old things were passing away and all things are becoming where all of a sudden there was a presence, a dynamic, a reality in your life where it wasn't just you anymore. It was Jesus in you. Wow. I'm alive. And God, when I hear your word, I just respond. It's, I love that. I walk in that. I'm now able to begin to find freedom. I just ask you this morning, have you experienced the new birth? Would you open your heart as Sarah sings over you? And if you've not been born from above right now, awesome story about Nicodemus is he got it. He became a believer. He walked away from everything because he realized that the spiritual reality was being born from above. Can be your story, can be my story. Would you just open your heart to the Lord right now? Amen. Come away, you sleeping soul. Come away, you sleeping soul. He's calling out to you. He's calling out to you. Rise up from the grave, step into the
stand with me this morning? Our Father, as we finish this time, these are transcendent moments where time can stand still, literally. And maybe hearts today have begun to entertain and open their hearts to the best and greatest reality. And a living God that loves them, desires to live in them. And all of a sudden, the life that you want for them is possible because you are empowering them and strengthening them and making it able. So Lord, we trust that you've spoken. You're doing your work. You're starting new work. And Lord, we just pray that those who have opened their hearts continue to believe we actually encourage them if they've done this, if they've taken this step if they're taking this step to find somebody and as the word says that power comes when we confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart and all of a sudden things begin to become concrete real and lasting Lord I'm trusting what you've always wanted to do Live in us, know us in a personal relationship. You're doing that work in our hearts. We pray this. Strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. All God's people said, amen. Thank you, Father.